Hello and welcome to the Health and Wealth podcast, episode six. This episode is sponsored by NK Active and Grosvenor Birch. So what's been happening with myself at NK Active this month? Last month, you would have remembered that we have started collecting some data on what is normative sort of strength, flexibility and functional scores within an average population. And we've had a really good response of people donating their time to come and help us out. And people actually been really interested in actually knowing where their strengths are, their weaknesses and what they can do. Um, so with people booked into the diary and the ones we've done already, we only need about four more people and then we're then going to be done, which actually times in very nicely because we're about to get our hands on the software that's going to help make this process of doing strength testing, presenting the data to people, making recommendations to try and reduce sickness at work, trying to areas that people then need to go and work on to get fitter and stronger and try and be more proactive with people's healthcare rather than reactive. So it's really exciting. This has been a long old project like Dave, our team member at NCAC, have been doing it. I reckon it's most probably so far taken him about 45, 50 hours worth of just testing people. And he's most probably still got about another 40 hours in the diary books <laughs> to go through. So you sat there. You almost treat it as a marketing exercise, though, can't oh. you really? I mean, it's it's Dave's time, but then at the same in the same context is that you've then got people through the door that perhaps didn't realise what you did and, and take an interest. Well, this is one of the things I was having a discussion with Charlie, one of our other team members, about actually the cost of doing all this because it is Dave's obviously paid to sit there and do this and then there's um, coding costs and everything on those lines and we're teaming up with Run3D because they know how to code and it's going to be a joint venture with them. But then it was like going back to why are we doing this and it's because it is one of those things that I've, I've always had, I wanted to answer this question about actually... When we look at some of the research, some of the populations that is done is so narrow in who it assesses. So, for example, it may be an athletic population between a certain age, certain sex, which play a certain sport, which isn't representative of the population we see in clinic or the normal working population. Yes, we'd all love to be professional athletes and be able to train and do a full-time job of that, but that's just not realistic we've got jobs we've got children we've got house we've got family stuff it's all that sort of gets in yeah in the way different diets and all you know all sorts that go along with so that. we wanted to try and make the database so varied but see if we can pick up any trend within that so we've had the youngest person's 19 the oldest person's been 82 so far sat there an 82 year old lifting weights that's quite impressive to think that actually we can then start dispelling the myths around age and everything on those lines. So we're nearly there, which is exciting because to my knowledge, no one else is really doing any of this. So I'm thinking it'll be one of the first where we can sort of start building this living, breeding database to help then advise people going forward in trying to reduce the risk of injury and be more proactive rather than reactive mm. to the and to it, the it, it's interesting more so because if you think about it in terms of what you're putting together and and, and what you look at in terms of when we and, and we're going to come back to insurance later on but when you're looking at insurance and you're detailing someone and they take a medical and you're looking at their bmi their height and their weight and what does it all mean and i know there's a lot of myths about bmi and how it's yeah. a completely useless tool but if you could show an insurer 
okay, this is person A that you've got here that you're looking to ensure. We've had them in clinic. We've done this strength testing. This is where they are in comparison to other people, their build type, mm-hmm. you know, age, weight, whatever it might be. That could be a really, really useful tool for insurers to calculate what risk that person poses. I think so. And I think you, the BMI bit, as you already, it is, it's a tool that is used because it is so easy to use. However... In a lot of populations, it is an absolutely worthless tool. So if you got every member of the England rugby team, <laughs> they would be classed as morbidly obese, mm. at least. But you look at them, they are very fit, muscular men and mm. women. They're not unhealthy. They're just fit and strong. Mm. But because muscle weighs more than fat, it, that's why they are heavy people. Mm. And then there was a, a, a documentary some time ago, I can't remember who it was, um, that basically looks at people who were slightly larger and they looked at people that were on the outside, looked nice and healthy and nice and thin. And they were looking at these people who were slightly larger but actually were much more active. Internally, they actually looked a lot healthier than the people who were mm. thin on the outside but didn't look so healthy on the inside. And we all know that it's the inside and the internal organs yeah. that are the bit that keep us alive. And exactly. And this is why the BMI, it just purely just looks at your height relationship to your to your mass. And it's it's a little outdated, but it's also we haven't got a way it's, it's easy for me to say the BMI is outdated. But what I can't say is, <laughs> here's something else we should all use instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is, there is instances where you can link BMI to things like diabetes and whatnot. And you most probably will find those England rugby players who are healthy, who have a high BMI, um, they won't be picked up for that because they're fit and healthy. Their chance of developing diabetes is most probably lower anyway. Mm. So they're not picked up in that population. What this is really looking at are the the inactive population who are overweight but with more and more people starting to take their exercise more seriously and get fitter and stronger i think we do need to look at uh different ways that we can measure it but i I appreciate that that it's trying to find a generalized tool that works for everyone isn't going Mm -hmm. to work but then are there people that are then almost penalized on their insurance and maybe life insurance and whatnot whereas they may technically have a high bmi Hmm. but actually are actually very fit and very healthy i don't mm. know well that's right i mean for from instance i mean i've been doing some insurance recently for some some directors so shareholder protection principally and, and key man as well and we'll, we'll come on to that in a second but one of the things that the insurers are doing now uh, is sending people um out to test in a proper medical this isn't you know just going and seeing their gp and getting their signed records it is getting them on a treadmill, getting their heart rates up and seeing how they perform. So I think there's definitely an element of that, what you're doing, it coming in to those insurers and, and, and rightly so. I mean, they're, they're not going to want to, under, you know, have premiums off people that pose a risk because they're going to have to pay out. But at the same time, they know they need to be competitive. So they've got to find a way to provide that competitive edge um, to, to mean that the, in, the, the insurance premiums are low enough that they beat their competitor, but on a risk-adjusted basis, they know they've they've put their clientele through this medical where they can see how their heart rate performs rather than just on an application yeah. form. It says, well, they're 6'2", and they're, you know, 
um, 70 something kilograms, for example. No, and I think that's where we want to try and help out is to go to companies and say, look, we can test all your members of your team, look at their strength, make recommendations. But then we've also then got facilities to then track what injuries happen. Because think you can be as do everything completely correct. You can be as fit as a fiddle, strong as an ox, and you are still going to get injured because that's just that just happens. Injuries happen. Mm. Um, but what we could try and do is looking at are there any trends and actually the people that actually are fitter and stronger, is there a positive trend between then then getting less injuries, which in turn means less time off sick, which then possibly then in turn means if someone's fitter and healthier, higher productivity. So it's a win-win for everyone. It's mm. a win for the employer because they get to save some cash. There's a win for an employee because they're fit and active and mm. they know how to keep themselves fitter and, and, and yeah, living sure. a better lifestyle. Uh, and, and I think you've introduced quite a good link there to, to the key man insurance because whilst they can save that cash, meaning that their employees aren't off, <laughs> off sick for a prolonged period of time, um, what happens if, if they themselves or, or their key members of staff are off for a prolonged period of time? So we're talking sort of like a month or more off away from the business and, and, and these principally are employees that are key to the business in terms of the profits that they generate for you. So we're talking senior members of staff, yep. management, or, or indeed shareholders themselves. Um, I went to see uh, two young chaps this, this week who run a very exciting business. They've just got themselves a commercial property. Uh, and, you know, it's all very exciting and, and, and whatnot. But then you sit in the, in the boardroom, as it were, uh, and, and you think, right, well, it's myself and I'm sat down with the two of them. You know, with, with smaller owner-managed companies like that, there is an inherent risk that a lot of the business and the profits is determined by the two chaps sat in front of me. Um, and we had this conversation and I sort of said, so, you know, there's the two of you and you're both shareholders. What happens if one of you can't be here because you've had an accident? Mm-hmm. Um, the case that one of the insurers gave the other day that were, there was a, a, a young lad that had gone off doing some mountaineering uh, and the guide rope had slipped and he'd fell 30 feet and smashed his legs apart. So if that happens, you're not going to be in the right frame of mind to be working and worrying about the contracts that you've got to get sorted and the PR and everything like that. So anyway, I sort of said, well, what happens if that's the case? And at the moment, obviously, what happens is the other director says, oh, blimey, right, I'm going to have to pick up the slack here. uh, And I've got much more work to get on with now to cover, you know, my my co-shareholders contracts. The alternative to that is spending a bit of money instead of saving money here, but spending a bit of money in order to get what we call key man insurance. Uh, And the whole point in key man insurance is to provide a sum of money or a monthly sum of money to help the business uh, either outsource that work that was attributable to the shareholder um, so that there's effectively not, not a loss of profits or a loss to the business. Um, so such, such and such person is charging all of these contracts that person takes a wage from the business but it's not necessarily their wage that you would have to pay in order to get someone else in who mm-hmm. could do what they do and we had this conversation it was it was it was a really good conversation because anyone that can do what they do would either already have a very good job in a in a big corporate firm or they would be doing it themselves Yes. And that's the issue that you have. And that's why it comes at a premium to be able to go out 
and afford the person you need to come in as a locum. So say uh, X director takes £100,000 a year and they work their socks off for that. It probably costs you a lot more than that to tempt someone to come in on a, on a temporary basis in order to, you know, at a moment's notice, pick up all this work and run with it and be competent to run with it. And that's what key man insurance is there for, you know, replacement, getting someone in, or if not getting someone in, helping the other director continue with their normal role while everything else is outsourced or the loan repayments can be paid and they don't have to worry about the contracts that are being lost. Yeah. Um, so we're doing a lot of that recently. And, and again, it's, you know, the, the statistics are that somebody would be off work for over a month in their life, in their working lifetime is around 42%. So you and I, Nick, it, there's a 42% chance that in our working life, we will have to, to at least once spend more than a month off of work. So that's yeah. it's quite, quite, a high quite, stat. quite a high risk. So for, you know, the premiums aren't expensive for key man. You're talking maybe 20, 30 quid, depending on your BMI and, <laughs> and, the, and the light that the insurance is used. But, um, you know, for the sake of that monthly cost, giving you that certainty that if your business is, is troubled in that sense, and, and okay, there's a, there's a vast set of rules that go along with how the premiums are treated and how the capital when it comes in is treated, whether it's a trading receipt and taxable mm-hmm. and whatnot. But the core principle is, there is a sum of money there that can help your business see through the troubled times while that person, whether it's a shareholder or whether it is a, a very valuable member of staff that, that generates a lot of income for you or, or a lot of the, the work that needs doing, um, can cover that and you can sort of go, right, let's, let's just reassess how this goes while that person recovers from their surgery um, or, or gets better. And, and it even covers mental health. Yeah, that's really... Because if you think about it, when, especially if you're starting a new business, a lot of the directors won't take a large salary from a new business because we all know in a lot of small businesses, cash flows the killer. So the idea is most directors when starting it won't pay actually nowhere near what it would cost them to see someone to do their job. Because mm. if they did, they could cripple the business in year one and year two. Yeah. And, and we know that that's what kills most businesses off. Most businesses that don't survive the first couple of years is a cash flow problem rather than a, than an IP or an innovation problem. Yeah. And it's like they just need to get through those first couple of years. And it's always, like someone always said to me, it's that lag phase when you put so much work in and you see nothing in return. And all of a sudden it just, then you start seeing the returns and all the effort you've put in. Mm. And you start to think, actually, some of these businesses, if they could have just kept going for another six, 12 months, then they would have then started mm. maybe reaping the, the rewards. Yeah. And it's interesting you talk about that because that's the, the these two chaps I was talking about. Uh, it, it's the same with them. So when I first saw them, uh, well, probably a year ago or so, um, they were running and it was, you know, success, successful business then. You know, they, they've gone on another f- few steps since then. And I said to the, you know, they were paying themselves tuppence. Mm. You know, they weren't taking dividends of a, of a great deal. Uh, and they certainly weren't paying themselves enough in pension. Um, and, and then I, and we've had mum on before, but we, mum and I were discussing it. And we sort of said there is that, that phase between a business where you're really, you know, you don't, you're the lowest paid staff member, even though you're the, the owner that you get successful and you think, oh, well, you know, I'm used to it now and you don't do anything and you think, oh, well, I'll, I'll take my money when we sell the business. 
but that might never come, you know, and, and then you get to the problem that you've been a really successful business all your, your working life. And you get to the point that that buyout never comes. Uh, and then because the contracts are all people that know you and you sort of think, well, I want to retire now it's then late for you to start taking money out of the business in a tax-efficient yeah. way. And so there becomes this balance of the business taking off, starting to pay yourself properly from said business and having money and different plates spinning in different ways. So you've got money in the business, money outside of the business um, so that you can cover all eventualities. Because if that buyout day comes where somebody comes along, private equity with a shed load of money and says, we want to buy you and your business, here's the money, great. But if that day doesn't come, businesses, you can see them gradually, gradually downturn year after year. And then you end up doing like a member's voluntary liquidation and, and there's not as much money there as yeah. you perhaps thought there would be and you've got to make your staff redundant and, and you know, there's all sorts of complications come with that. So there is a real key there to, yes, insurance to make sure that if the worst happens while you're working in the business, you're covered, but also making sure that you are paying yourself properly throughout the term of, of especially when you start to, to become a bit more successful. So then I know we had your mum on a couple of episodes ago speaking a bit about pensions but i think it would be silly not to mention pensions considering it has just been is it national pension week or something yeah so paw pensions awareness week and it's actually only four days it was the 13th to the 17th yeah um to to sort of raise i i find them all a bit gimmicky really i mean pensions awareness year every year for me really but uh, well we've got next month I think it's the middle of October is World Arthritis Awareness Day. Oh, okay. So we're next month doing a whole, uh, the whole month is focusing around educating people around arthritis. But again, you sort of say, well, it shouldn't just be World Arthritis Awareness Day. Because if you suffer with arthritis, it doesn't just affect you <laughs> one day of the year. <laughs> you can only time. come and see you one day of the year yeah, or one so, week um, of the year. But yeah, that there are these sort of awareness days, weeks, or I don't even, you can't even, a pensioners awareness week, it's not a full week, it's four days. Mm. Is, is that the normal working week these days? Oh, if it is, I've, I've definitely missed that memo. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, and I was saying that to you, you know, this, this week's been crazy as we, we talk about. So I've been doing insurance and typically when I'd start talking about stuff on the podcast, it's because it's fresh in, in my mind. I've been doing it, practicing what we preach. Uh, and as always, I think, you, you know, you always brush up on your skill set whenever you go to talk to people about stuff. So it's been insurance this week. Um, and we'd spoke about key man. The other is shareholder protection. Um, and perhaps we'll come back to shareholder protection a, a, a another day because it's quite an in-depth subject. But yep. principally, instead of insuring someone while they're off sick for, for a little period of time, you're looking to properly remunerate your... And principally, this is where you've got more than one shareholding director or more than one shareholder. What you're trying to do is make sure that um, if you and I, Nick, were co-shareholders in the Health and Wealth Company Limited... Our business is worth a million pounds, for example, and we're, we're 50-50. If you pass away, your shareholding goes to Bex, yep. your family, um, and then Bex is a co-owner in, in the Health and Wealth mm -hmm. Company Limited, and I might not like the ideas that she brings. So whilst you and I get on quite well, she brings different ideas, and I think, oh, I, I'm not sure I want to do this. All of a sudden, that million-pound company 
isn't worth a million pounds anymore because I'm not that committed to yeah. it anymore. And, and Bex tries to run it and whatnot. But anyway, the, the issue becomes that um, in, a, in the reality, what I want to happen is if you're no longer here, I want an option that says, Bex, you're going to get the shares. And there's a reason for that because of business relief. So business relief is when the value of your shares hit your taxable estate, they're not, although they're valued in your estate, you don't pay inheritance yep. tax on them. They need to pass to Bex first in order to get that business relief. And then what we say is that we have an option agreement between you and I and inadvertently with our families. And so I say, Bex, I want the shares off of you and therefore you have to give them to me because of this option agreement. Yep. And in return, what I do and you do is take out a life insurance policy and I am the trustee and the beneficial owner yeah. of your life insurance policy. So you die, I get this life insurance policy, which pays me £500,000, which I've got the cash. And if Bex keeps his shares and we're all right and she can join us, then fine. The business has now got £500,000 cash that we can use to help the business while we have this transition period. Normally, what would happen is I would say, Bex, actually, I'd rather have the shares. Here's the 500000 that was Nick's value in the company. You've still got business relief on it, so there's no IHT on it. You have the cash, I'll have the shares, we'll go our separate ways. And then I've still got the business and, and she has the money yep. that she wants. That's shareholder protection in a nutshell. Um, really, really valuable tool and very, very underutilized. Um, typically, people think because of the cost of premiums, but actually, again, 20, 30 quid a month which the business can pay. Um, there's, again, certain rules around it, but really, really useful tool to make sure that there aren't any disputes and that the business, when you die, for instance, Nick, and I've not got the cash, Bex has to have the shares. Or if we've got that option agreement, but the insurance policy wasn't enough, we've got an agreement that I've still got to pay her £500,000, but the insurance policy was only a hundred. Yep. I've now got to borrow 400000 to, to buy her out before I can start then paying off my loan and, and running the business. And then it's just me, you know, instead of two of us. Yeah. Well, there's a, you may not get on, but then we'll also be an element. She may not want to do it. Exactly. Anyway, that. and it does put that a lot. And I think it is something very, very important that people should look at because it, it puts a lot of pressure on different people and both you and I run our businesses it doesn't mean that our our wives and partners are going to want to do the same mm. thing because they've mm. got their own interests and it may not align with mm. what we do and then it's, it's exactly right it just puts almost you don't want to feel someone pressured into oh my god I have to run this business mm. when actually they don't want to because they've both got other jobs this that's that's right or indeed the um so for instance with with my business and, and mum and dad are shareholders so sarah and i and sarah and i have or will shortly have this shareholder protection with the agreement that sort of says look if sarah dies i'll have her shares and if i die she gets mine and so that's not that i've then not got to deal with her husband whereby he might come with ideas or he might just say I don't care, just carry on running the business, which is fine. But then whenever I need to draw some money out of the business for a dividend, I've got to pay him a quarter of yeah. it. And so he's getting a quarter of the profits, but not contributing anything. And it just avoids all those problems that can happen yeah. in businesses um, for the sake of 30 quid a month each for some premiums to cover you to 65. So at least there is some element of insurance there. And more importantly, agreement 
that there is a process in place that if someone was to die, this is what happens. Yep. Um, you know, that the, the agreement part is more more important than the insurance in some ways. Anyway, we were talking about yeah. Pensions Awareness Week and then I went off about shareholder protection. We can muddle it around so that it's a bit clearer. But um, it, it's because that is what life has been like for me the last couple of weeks. As I said, when I came in to yeah. see you, I can't believe it's Thursday. I've had two weeks of just meeting, 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 which I'll never, ever complain about because we've been in that COVID situation uh, and finally getting back to being able to see people and eyeball oh. people and smile and enjoy it is amazing but i do need to get through these last couple of tasks i've got on my uh, outlook uh, flag system uh, and then book a holiday and, yes. and just take a week off and, and we were talking about that a few weeks well a few months ago on the podcast so talking about that i forgot i so i've been away and done some more training well started done the theory now i've got the assignments of practical basically around about administering injectables so mainly steroids um, into the foot and ankle for different treatments of different problems um, because it can be very helpful when you're talking about arthritis, um, neuromas, so enlargements of the nerves in between certain toes. It can be very helpful for treating those problems. And the reason how that links into getting back to normality, the course was actually run at Northampton. And I trained at Northampton, graduated in 2009. Yeah, you should never age yourself, Nick. <laughs> no, no it's all, don't, everyone thinks I'm about 10 years older than <laughs> I am anyway. Everyone puts me in my 40s and think, I'm in my 30s. It's like, um, I went up there and it was just like living down memory lane. And it was nice. So I met up with the people I used to live with at university. Uh, because we've all different, we all live in different parts of the country now and we sort of let's all meet up and have a bit of a reunion because mm. Northampton was sort of equal distance from most of us. And it was, it was amazing just to start getting back to that normality. We went into some of the pubs and we'd done a bit of the, on the Saturday evening, did what we used to do when we were students and do that same pub run. <laughs> and we went into one of the pubs called um, NB's in Northampton and we sat at the same table that we used to sit at. And it hadn't changed one bit. And we worked out, it must have been like 13, 14 years since we were last in this pub. And it hadn't changed. It just brought back so many memories. And it was nice to feel like just getting back to that sense of normality mm. now coming out of this um, pandemic era, as, as it mm. were. Uh, and, and speaking of, of which, in terms of the pandemic and bodily contacts and all yeah. that sort of stuff, you've had quite an uptick in some work recently, which we'll talk about on the podcast, but listeners beware you might want to yeah. cover your ears or, or zone out for oh. five minutes and we'll give you a this is the thing because i work in the medical world and i'm married to a gp speaking about health issues and body issues it just doesn't phase me at all um but we've seen a big uptake in people with ingrown toenails and we've seen some quite meaty juicy ingrown toenails <laughs> juicy oh nice um and and i think that's because the nhs waiting list for operating on those is it's extremely long and it's something that we can do. You do under local anesthetic, you just remove part of the nail and you put a chemical down there um, to 98% of the time, it just solves the problem. And the procedure itself is five minutes max. It doesn't take that long to do, but the pain relief is instant. Mm. And we've seen people who've been waiting for ingrown toenails like four months where they multiple antibiotics but unfortunately it's like using the analogy of if you stick a nail in your hand and you take a paracetamol the pain will go away but 
as soon as the Paris Festival wears off, the mm, pain comes back. Come back yeah. So it's the same with ingrown toenails. Unless you actually treat the course, just wearing different shoes, taking antibiotics, you're not treating the core problem. Mm. So we aim to say that we treat the core problem. And in the majority of the times, you take away a, a bit of the nail that's only about two, three millimeters wide. By the time everything heals, unless you're sat there staring at someone's foot, you don't even notice they have it done. And most people in the summer when you walk around don't run staring at people's feet saying oh who's had nail surgery who hasn't mm, had nail surgery mm. and it's something that it heals really easily normally nice and simple to do but yet works 98 percent of the yeah. time yeah. and i think we're just seeing people now have got to a point where they can't wait any longer because from an nhs viewpoint it's not life or death it's an ingrown toenail but actually the impact it has on someone's quality of life is absolutely huge because it means a lot of the time just general day-to-day walking is an issue. You can't play your sport and exercise, and then that has an impact on your mental health and everything along those mm. lines. So, yeah, we've seen a big uptake in that recently. And and it's funny because there is a, again, as there often is with with our lines of work and 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 the podcast really is that there's a there's a similarity, but in in some ways, but in 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 very different ways in others, is that we're finding with product providers that service levels and and okay that the nhs is busy with other things but that 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 service levels have dropped off and time scales are becoming much much longer than usually they were you know some of the very best providers who would usually react and respond in in a case of a day or so they're now saying you know it's 12 day turnaround time and 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 like you say for some people okay that's fine you know you just wait around Mm. and, and you do what you can for other people who might need the money withdrawals have concerns anxieties around finances that can be disastrous um and it's getting back to or trying to get back to that good service levels where things are done promptly and and that's where i can't yet see where you know where we're going to get to with that um and it's one of the, the the things that again links with pension awareness week is that one of the things that we're seeing, and, and you've touched on there about seeing your your ex-uni mates, is that life is getting or, or seems to be getting back to some sort of normality and we can do and see people and, and um, you know, have a beer again now. But for some people, and, and, and typically here it's probably the the ones approaching retirement or already at sort of yeah. retirement age, so I'm talking 55, 60, 65, that a lot of them, when they've been in the office and working and quite happy with that sort of arrangement, where they've been working at home for the last year and a half and things are getting back to normal and they're being asked to go back to the office, I think a lot of them now are saying, well, actually, I'm not sure I want to do that. And if there's not this hybrid working model or actually they're not interested in a hybrid working model, I've been seeing a lot of people principally about have I got enough can I retire? Mm. Um, and, and, and that's the link in there with Pensions Awareness yeah. Week and pensions in general is we are seeing a large uptake, uh, your, your ingrown nails, but we're seeing a large uptake of people considering more about their retirement than perhaps otherwise they would do if they were just going to the office on the, on the rat run as they normally were. Um, and, you know, I'll extend that out to, to sort of anyone listening is that there, there are certain options that your pension provider gives you um not everyone sort of knows about this they think oh well i've got a pension it's there for retirement 
but it's about what that current pension you've got will offer you in retirement. And there are different options. So your pension can buy you what's called an annuity, which is a guaranteed source of income for life. So you give up your pot of money and in return, the insurance company will pay you you know, X amount of money per month for the rest yeah. of your days. And when you're no longer here, that's it. It's gone unless you, you add in something for your spouse, for, for instance. Um, other ones are about options in how you take that money. Um, and, and they sound very similar, but one is drawdown and the other is what we call UFPLS. So that's uncrystallized funds, pension lump sum. And they're very different because one is part taxable, part tax free. And the other gives you the option to decide which which uh, ratio you want. And that's really important for people when they're getting to retirement income stages and they say, well, I want this much money a year. And when you factor in, if they've got second properties and rental income, state pensions, uh, interest, dividends, whatever it might be, it's really important to have that choice. Yeah. Um, and that's why I would always encourage someone to have someone look over your pension statements and just confirm to you, what they're going to offer while you're alive and at retirement, but also what's going to happen to your pension if you don't make retirement or if you die during, because that's just as important. Um, we've seen pensions where they will go into the taxable estate and you don't want that. You want no. to keep it as a pension. No, I think that's all very, very useful and lots to think about. I think that's a nice place to wrap things up because I have got no idea how long we've been we've been chatting. And it, uh, it always happens, it doesn't always it? And, happens. and probably an hour before we got on the podcast. As oh, well. We do every every month. We we have a chat beforehand, and oh, we should just be recording this. <laughs> and there are so many other things we could chat about now, but I think we can end it there, or it's just going to get too long. Yeah, I think so. And it's just a reminder to people, you know, that sometimes even the smallest of, of healthcare bother to you and you think, oh, well, I'll leave. Mm. Just speak to someone like Nick. And the same with pensions, investments, yeah. whatever it might be in business in general, you know, um, how you can help protect your business. You know, give give me a shout or any other, you know, financial advisor that, that comes from a trustworthy source. Well, as I always say in the health world, and I imagine it's the same in the financial world, the sooner you go see someone about any cause of concern, normally the quicker it can be dealt with and the easier it is to deal, deal with. If you let things bubble and carry on and become chronic from a health perspective and go long term in your line of work, it's it becomes harder and more complex mm -hmm. to to sort out yeah that's right and and the sooner you find out the information the better informed you are and the better you can plan going forward and that's what everyone wants isn't it so it is indeed i think we'll we'll, we'll leave people on that note and yeah. um wish you all well and we'll um we'll we'll be speaking to you again next month i'll see you next month bye <laughs>